news the pastor's heart. Dominic Steele is my name and our guest today, Richard Chin, the National Director of the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And uh, he's going to share some of the work that God has done in his life over the years. Hey, we'd love it if you could help us get the word out about the pastor's heart. Uh, We're asking for your support here. Um, If you're on the Apple, you could subscribe, type into your browser, bit.ly slash the pastor's apple. If you're on the Android, bit.ly slash the pastor's Android. And we're encouraged by the increasing number of people subscribing to us on Spotify and bit.ly slash the pastor's Spotify is the, uh, the reference for that. Now, Coming up over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to David and Kathy Thurston. And uh, here's a line. Part of what it means to be a pastor is to be able to understand and know yourself well enough that you're able to be an example to others. And we'll be talking to them about that and the whole area of your own life and conduct and managing your own household well next week on The Pastor's Heart. But to Richard Chin... Hello, old friend. Hello. It's <laughs> good to be here, Dominic. Very good to have you um, with us. And we're going to talk to you about 25 years in Christian ministry or more. Um, I remember you were a couple of years ahead of me at Theological College. It and, was something like that, yes. And w- when you left to go and um, really lead the Christian ministry at the University of Wollongong um, with the AFES, what would you say to Richard back then? Uh, if you if you could have a conversation with the Richard coming out of college and about to start. Yeah. Well, listen to the pastor's heart 25 years later, Dominic, obviously, and listen to David and Kathy Thurston. That line was just unbelievable. So I'm quite looking forward to hearing what they have to say and work out what bit.ly means. Uh, but I'd love to say all sorts of things. Um, but have you got anything? Hey, let's start with theology. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Well, I... I reckon the, for, for the last 25 years, the thing that's been going on in my head, obviously, is who God is uh, and that the fundamental reality of heaven and earth, to quote Andrew Moody in his book on the Trinity, the fundamental reality in heaven and on earth is the love the Father has for his Son. Mm-hmm. That, that's why we exist. Mm. If you go to Colossians 1, for example, when he talks about the beloved Son, And then from verse 15 and following, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, uh, firstborn of all creation, for by him or in him all things were made, things invisible, visible, uh, etc. And it's created through him and for him. Hmm. That is, everything revolves around the sun. Our purpose of life, our existence is for the sun. And as simple as as it sounds at one level, it is so profound that I think it's something I've been meditating on for the last 25 years. Mm. It will revolve around him and his glory. Sovereignty of God? Indeed. That's it. That is, in in the Christocentricity of life, that is, because God loves his son, the overflow of that love for us is expressed, I think, in his sovereignty. And so the other verse that's certainly been going on in my head and in the experience of life is the Romans 8. 28 onwards, mm. that he is at work in all things, absolutely all things for the mm. good of those who love him. And we've talked about this because, I mean, that verse, I mean, we'd known it for years, mm. but it's one thing knowing it and then really dealing with that verse as you looked at the face of death in, yeah. in Roman, your wife's death. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can, you, can you take us really deeper into that verse as you as you thought about it as you approached cancer with Bronwyn and then mm. and then her death 
six years ago, on mm. Easter Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, for those who, who don't know, she uh, very sadly passed away from pancreatic cancer on Easter Sunday, actually on Resurrection Sunday, and God preserved her to that point, and that was just one of those momentous things that it was that day mm. that he chose mm. all days. Um, to know that suffering and death is in his hands is something that uh, I can cling to in the face of what I can only understand as his severe mercy upon us and our family through that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw God so work in her life uh, to grow her more and more like Christ and become more beautiful as she wasted away on the outside and her inner self just growing more like him. And to see God at work in that uh, was just phenomenal, really. It, it didn't stop our grieving or our emotional pain, but what it did show us was that her dependence on him is something that only God could have worked in mm. in the face of such suffering and trial. Um, didn't stop the pain that we felt, uh, but nevertheless, we saw God at work in her, and I saw God at work in our children, in the way they depended on him that much more, in the way in which it made us work through what matters really mattered in life. And so in looking back, despite the agony and pain and times when I could remember just curling up into a ball under a shower and emptying Warragamba Dam mm. in grief... I can look back and see that God was at work even in those times to grow us more like him and depend on him that much more. So that is obviously one major time in our lives in which that has just been so palpable that he's mm. at work, even in suffering and death, for our good, for the glory of his son, who he loves. I heard you say once you called it his most severe mercy. Mm. Do you want to just mm. unpack that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, severe in that it was obviously a time of pain mm. turmoil and grief uh, that in many ways humanly speaking I just do not want to repeat uh, however it was a mercy in that because God is sovereign because God is gracious that is even in seeing Bron die it was his means of grace to us mm. And is everything in life is his means of grace to us if he is sovereign, mm. isn't it? That is, he's at work in all things. When you speak to me now, you sound like you've got it completely together. But mm. I imagine there must have been some Job kind of wrestles. And, you know, in, do you want to just indeed. kind of give us a bit of an insight into... Indeed. Yeah. The, uh, well, the verses that were closest to me, those days, was not Romans 8, 28, mm. so you're quite right. It was Job, it was Habakkuk, it was seeing them struggle through their particular suffering and trial. Uh, and yes, I asked the question, why repeatedly? Uh, but in looking back, uh, I can see that asking why in the framework of faith is faithful, is mm -hmm. God at work in mm. me through those times. Uh, and I can remember our children working through that as well. Uh, and it was incredibly hard you know, mm. to think through those things. However, uh, by the grace of God, I, I don't think any of us became angry with him mm -hmm. at the time or since. Uh, we asked why, certainly. Uh, but again, by his mercy, and I say by his mercy, 
uh, whilst we asked why, it was always in the framework of faith, that is, independence upon him and never giving up on him. Mm. Uh, but that was his mercy to us mm. through the severity of those circumstances. Mm. What about um, if we switch from that area onto the kind of really the, a bit more the nuts and bolts of um, the ministry of Jesus that you've had in the AFES? And um, you've done a lot of thinking about strategy and um, become... We'll, we'll, we'll have you changed your thinking or have you grown in your thinking in that area over the years? Yeah. yeah. Um, in many ways, my, my 25 years in, in meditating on those verses of Scripture that we've just discussed and, and that big point that God loves His Son and the overflow of His love is that His ways are the best ways, of course, and His strategy uh, in terms of seeing that overflow of love for his son uh, for the world express is through the proclamation of the gospel. There mm-hmm. is, there's nothing that changes that mm-hmm. at all. But it's because he is sovereign, it is in prayerful dependence upon him that we proclaim the gospel, the, the true news that he is Lord because of his death and resurrection. So I take it that his strategy, which is infallible, is that in prayerful dependence upon God... Uh, we proclaim the true gospel to all nations with the expectation of suffering. I think that is his strategy to reach the world, as it were, and it's infallible uh, in that sense. It's, it's kind of like playing middle C on the piano or tuning to A on the oboe, which mm-hmm. orchestras do, I, but I think that seems so basic, but it's so foundational, and I think that is so infallible. That is his way. Uh, that is his strategy and we've got to align everything we do along, along his strategy. Now, when you say that, prayerfully proclaiming Christ to the nations with suffering, I mean, there'd be lots of churches, lots of ministries who'd say prayerfully proclaiming Christ. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, the, the two bits that I hear that I think, oh, it's interesting, you've, you've put a stress on nations and yes. you've put a stress on suffering. Yes, do you want to just yes. kind of... Um, yeah. yeah. Let's do yeah. nations first. Yeah, yeah. Do, do nations first. Uh, just a cheeky question. What do you think, I'll ask you, Dominic, if that's okay, what do you think might be the commandment in terms of prayer that Jesus gives that we perhaps fail to obey most? I was going to say, just make me humble. <laughs> in terms of Yeah, yeah, yeah. That idea that I know I'm to be humble, but I know that I get humbled by being humbled yeah, and, and therefore sure. I really don't want to pray. Sure. <laughs> um, well, the, the cheekiness of that question, Dominic, obviously uh, it yeah. has got to do with the nations. That is, he, he commands his people to pray to the Lord of the harvest because the labourers are few, mm-hmm. so send to raise up labourers for the harvest. Right? Yeah. I wonder how many times we pray that uh, on a regular basis. That is, not just praying for our praying for missionaries, more labourers more from this congregation yep. to go into the harvest. Like, how many times do we pray that on a regular basis? So, uh, to go to the nations from this congregation, mm. whatever congregation we, we're yeah, in. Yeah. And I just wonder how frequently we pray that. Because that, I think, is a litmus test as to how much we are thinking about the nations. Mm-hmm. Raising up people to go to the nations from here. The, the second kind of KPI, if I can mm-hmm. use that language of question, that's not a bad question to ask, is... Uh, if you were to ask your local small group, your Bible study group, whatever you call it in your congregations, uh, we, we want to reach blank for Christ. Mm-hmm. What would they fill the blank in? Your average pew sitter in your church. My guess is that most people would say, oh, we want to reach 
my friends, my family for Christ, uh, or the parish, whatever that is, the suburb, you know, so, Annandale. So you, is, you, is a, you can rebuke me for this, but yeah. I would say we've been talking about the Australian census um, for our suburb has something like 938 people call themselves Christian. <laughs> and now yeah. that's actually a tangible number that our church could work to change. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if we're looking outward, we want to see postcode 2038. I mean, and this place is a pretty anti-Christian part of the yes. world. You know? yeah. And so you can actually tangibly measure whether you went from 938 to 980 you yeah, know, in, yeah, yeah. in the census. So we want to see that change. But you're going to tell me, I should have a more global perspective. I, uh, indeed I am. So Go on stand rebuked, dear brother. I think we should be saying we want to reach the nations for Christ. Mm-hmm. Don't we? Every believer should be thinking that mm. because a less than global vision is a less than gospel vision, vision. because the gospel is for the world. Mm. And if we're not thinking the world, then I don't think we're thinking gospel vision. So therefore, we've got to be thinking about the nations. So did you... Were you thinking about postcode two hundred three eight and Wollongong <laughs> University at the beginning? You know, indeed, and, indeed. And how's your how's your vision become yeah, more global? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, by God's grace, I look back. I think it has, Dominic. But but in part because and but perhaps that's the suburb here. Of course, we have so many international students, mm-hmm. of course, on our campuses. I right. mean, across yeah, any yeah. university mm-hmm. campus, that's the case, and we have people from unreached people groups on our campuses. So we see them, we feel them. And you're talking to them and you're feeling their passion. So so you've got both the scriptures saying that and it's experientially in your face. Yes, with the scriptures elevated though. So it's not that the experience is informing my understanding of the scripture. The scriptures have actually shared that with me from Mm. the get-go. It's just that I have not got it yet. It's taken a long time to get all that way from my head to my heart, which Mm. is a long distance, isn't Mm. it? But it is experientially in my face, so again, that is a grace of God. But I, it is for the nations. Okay, well, first, to go back to that statement, prayerfully, prayerfully proclaiming Christ to the nations with suffering. Yeah. I don't think that the AFES would have had with suffering in that line no. 25 years ago. No, you correct, know? So, correct. And, so yeah. somebody's done a rethink on that. Yeah, yeah. That, that has been me uh, in part, and it's not in our mission statement, I've, I've got to say, oh, okay. regrettably. This is, but, this is, but, but, but you argued for uh, it in the uh, mission uh, statement. Uh, no, well, no I, well, let's just say I keep on adding it in despite the fact that it's not in the mission <laughs> statement itself. That is, the, don't the scriptures tell us that that's the case? Even any study of culture, sustained study of culture, where do I find that in the New Testament especially? I think you find it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Mm-hmm where he talks about the last days. And what do you talk about? Disordered love. And what does that disordered love involve? Love for self at the beginning and not a love for God. And everything in between actually summarises what that's about, doesn't it? It's a disordered love. But what do we expect? Suffering, Mm. trials, persecution. What does Paul go on to say? How do we face that culture, meet that culture, interact with that culture, with that disordered love, which is anti-God? By preparing for suffering, he Mm. says, look at my suffering. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, preach the word. So you expect suffering in this Mm. time. These are the last days. We're in the last days. Even postcode, whatever you said, is in the last (laughs) days. Uh, We're all in the last days. Very much so. So therefore, I think it's there page after page after page, is it not? What does Mm. Paul say? Now I rejoice in my sufferings Mm. for you in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions. And then he goes and says, look at it. I want you to know about my struggles. Why? Mm. Page after page after page. 
persecution. Because suffering is normal, persecution is normal, we cannot expect our society, our culture, to think that the gospel is reasonable. It is just not seen to be reasonable. Uh, but what is reasonable on our part is to expect that, to expect suffering, but to preach Christ lovingly, prayerfully dependent upon him with a view to the nations. Mm, mm. Uh Lessons about life and doctrine. Now we're going to do this yeah. with Dave Thurston next yeah. week, but um, but let's um, let's drill in with you there for a minute. Um, you, you leave theological college. None of your friends, all of our friends, kind of going well, rosy eyed. But now you've been around the garden quite a few times. Um, what do you want to say to us on that now? Oh, well, if I can drill in a little bit more about if that's God's infallible strategy, the prayerful proclamation of Jesus to the nations with the expectation of suffering, then I want to talk about how do we create a, a strategize towards a culture that is in line with that, that culture. Yeah. Uh, and so I've just got this pithy, silly acronym uh, that I hope works, and this is what I'm sending around the garden. Again, it's so basic. It, it's, it's with the word MAPS, that is. It's M for modelling that. Mm-hmm. A, for articulating that, just like I'm doing with mm-hmm. you and seeking to rebuke and courage along those lines, articulating that over and over again, praying about that. Mm-hmm. But then there are systems to think about, right? And by systems, I don't mean something that is incredibly complex, like we all have a system in terms of welcoming newcomers mm-hmm. or something like that. But within those systems, which we all have in terms of rosters, etc., are we telling stories regularly about that? Because that creates a culture. Mm-hmm. Are we celebrating those stories that are in line with God's infallible strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think those things create a culture. And culture eats strategy for breakfast, unless that strategy is to create the culture that is aligned <laughs> with God's strategy. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense. So therefore we can plan and have these great vision statements and, and particular strategies, but the culture is what actually moves it within a Christian culture, mm-hmm. I'm about, the ecosystem. And I think there are a million decisions that we make that create that, that Christian ecosystem that aligns itself with God's invaluable strategy. And those things take time. And there are millions of um, decisions to go into that. And that's, that's modelling it. Right? So am I praying for unbelievers? Am I actually praying for the nations? Do I pray for unreached people mm-hmm. groups myself? Do I pray regularly that people from my congregation, from my midst, will get up and go to the nations? Mm-hmm. Am I articulating that regularly? Is it being prayed for regularly? I wonder whether if you put a test again and ask how many times that get prayed for you know, in our services uh, per six weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I know, you know, I asked the cheeky question of our congregation and I know it gets prayed for every six weeks because I prayed every six weeks and it's because I was guilted into it in my own thinking <laughs> and other people, not because of anything wonderful in me, but I know it gets prayed for at least every six weeks. But wouldn't it be wonderful if it was prayed for every two weeks, every week, mm. you know, in that sense? I think that culture will just seep through. But it's, it's the stories that come through, the celebrations that come with that. And that, that culture... Uh, that God has established in terms of the infallible strategy, I think, is what will help us work towards that end for his glory, for the glory of his beloved son, which is what it's mm. all about. So there's a complexity with stories, isn't it, about how much I should share and how much I'm yes. free to share. Yes, you know, yes, yes, um, that's right, that's right. I yeah, mean, yeah. I am rejoicing this, I mean, I'm rejoicing in our church at the moment. We've, uh, we've, we've had a lady... Uh, we, a decade ago, we started a thing of, um, we were preaching on, um, Andrew Barry was preaching on um, caring for the orphans and widows in James 1. And he said, it's all very well to care for the orphans and widows 
overseas and refugees, but what about Annandale? And what yeah. about Johnson Street? Yes. And he challenged the young adults in our church to, to get police checks, to go along to the nursing home and go and play Scrabble with some of the lonely people in yeah. the, the nursing home. Yeah. And we've been visiting this lady and we've actually been wheeling her to church in her wheelchair for a decade. And um, anyway, her kids have got warmer to us as a result. Um, and I had a coffee with her son and he's just started on introducing God. Praise you know? God. And it's, it's a decade story. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I'm okay sharing that. But, the, <laughs> but, but how, when do you share, when do you not share yeah. the story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think we should be sharing it regularly in our services. Mm-hmm. That is, it's stories of God doing his thing with his gospel through people. Mm-hmm. And the more we know how it is that, and not just the successes of that, but mm-hmm. the failures as well. Mm-hmm. Because then it tells the congregation, each other as brothers that and sisters. That we're trying. That we're having a go. And, and so um, I know you've had Mark Dever interviewed mm-hmm. here and certainly at a recent Nexus conference. And I, I could hear him saying that too, isn't it? Just yeah. keep telling me the stories. Sorry, That's what yeah. keeps me going. That, yeah. that puts a skip in my step. And, and I know having visited his congregation, that's what they do in an evening. It's like a care and share time every Sunday night. Uh, and what they do is they get members to share what attempts they've had. And he, he just gets them to uh, help us understand. And then they pray for it immediately. And, and small wonder, they are baptizing believers monthly, you know, multiple numbers on a monthly basis, who are recent converts. Numbers, What's yeah. that? Mm. I think people are hearing, my goodness, I could do that. You know, yeah. that's, that's not something that only... Mark Dever does or Dominic mm. Steele does, it's, it's something that we all do mm. and, and can do. Mm. Uh, and it's all aligning with the strategy of God, isn't it? Mm. Proclaiming Jesus Christ prayerfully. So we pray for them regularly. Mm. Those kinds of things, I think, are just, just wonderful. It's Ho- just holiness, holiness in the minister's life. Oh, yeah. Holiness <laughs> in the minister's life. That's part and parcel of it, isn't it? That is, that, what, what drives me towards that is to desire to be like God. And how much more can you be like God than to desire the salvation of the lost. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I'm going to push you on two areas, your mm. own life and yeah. then as you've led the AFES. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in your own life, um, I, at your recent wedding, yes. a couple of years ago to Jeanette, um, uh, a little line just popped into the service where somebody said, oh, Richard, you might like to kiss your bride for the first time. And it stood out to me because I'd never heard anyone say, at a wedding service before, would you like to kiss the bride for the first time? Mm. And I thought, ah, there's a decision that Richard has made. Do you, know, yeah. do you want to just tell me about yeah. that? Because yeah. yeah, Yes, well, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because you'll save both yourself and your hearers, as yep. he says. Um, and uh, part and parcel of holiness is sexual purity, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good and wonderful thing that God's yeah. designed. And in the position you were in... yes. Of, a leader of the people of God and yes. a leader of leaders of the people of God. Yes. It must have been very important to you oh, to get that right. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, two, two reasons. Yes, certainly to get that right for that reason. We'll, we'll get that right for the sake of holiness. Yes, but yeah. yes, yes. That, that's what I wanted to get. Yeah. That's right. For the, the first and primary reason, of course, is to please God, isn't it? Uh, and it is to be uh, doing the right thing. Uh, and in, in the position that I'm in, I need to be modelling uh, everything. Uh, and, and that includes godliness and holiness of life in dating and mm. courtship. Um, I chose very deliberately, and we talked it over with Jeanette, with, that our uh, particular um, physical uh, 
intimacy ought not to be compromised in any way, shape or form uh, beforehand and in the, in the dating relationship or the, the courtship. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, as, as you know, but uh, our listeners may not know, I was married to Bron for 24 years mm. before and had a healthy sexual relationship mm. for which I am very grateful to mm. God for. Uh, and as I've shared, she became more and more beautiful. So, so having experienced a sexual relationship was really healthy. I understood that I can uh, commit acts that will arouse my body, which is good and fine in the context of marriage, but not good and fine outside of marriage. Mm. And I know that kissing on the lips for me certainly begins the whole process of arousal that is incredibly unhelpful. Mm -hmm. um, so I know for me, I chose not to take that step in order to stay pure in my thinking and my thoughts and not to lead my body into an, a state of arousal that will be unhelpful. But I, I know Jeanette thoroughly agreed, and, and, and not just for my sake, but for her sake as well. Mm. And we wanted to and be... And she would have felt thoroughly. so respected. Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to ask her, but I think so. Uh, and we uh, we worked very, very hard at that. Uh, and uh, you know, all the usual things that I share with our students, that uh, not to be alone in places that's going to be unhelpful and, uh, you know, car stops, door opens, and not to be in a, uh, a place alone. So we always met in public places. And, if we, and you can be very alone in public places mm. and have very uh, important, significant conversations in the corner of a restaurant or in a you know, corner of a, a building where there's lots of people, etc. So mm. we, we sought out those places, etc. But it was, it was important to us. And, and the other thing, too, is that uh, as I was dating, courting Jeanette, um, my whole board knew, in fact, from the get-go, and, and I also met with five other brothers um, to talk, keep talking through this, to ask me the question of purity and parenting, because I have four children. Um, and the board knew every step of the way. In fact, <laughs> it came a point when I did get engaged and the board chair stood up uh, and shared at our senior staff conference, uh, finally we can get this thing off our agenda because we've now dealt with Richard's love life. <laughs> um, so, but it was important that, that they knew because of the position I was in. And uh, I think that, yeah, that the whole, the whole area of um, positions that have can I use this word, appropriate authority and power can be abused in all these areas. So, yeah, we went the extra mile, but I am so grateful for it and I would do it again and do it again 25 years ago, 30 years ago when I was, you know, mm. dating the first time. Even if I was not in this role, as I look back, I think that would just be, it's such a good and wonderful and pure thing. And, and again, can I say, it is by the grace of God that it happened. It, mm. it wasn't easy. We had to, had to really think premeditatedly about every move mm. you know, all the time. Mm. And I guess since then you've been in conversations with other guys who were in their 50s who were yeah. dating. Yeah. Yes, yes I have. Yeah, yeah, I have spoken to them, uh, to uh, others who have been in my position who have become widowers um, and also uh, people who have um, divorced as well. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yes, we've We've talked through various things here. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, if I go now to the, if you like, the unhappy end of that, mm. the, the unhappy end of holiness, you've had to be in the position of dismissing people mm. um, who have not, um, uh, if you like, um, 
had well breached the. I mean, they've, they've uh, breached a code, code of conduct. conduct. They've yeah, breached yeah. the Bible. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 indeed. And that's been, that is unhappy territory. Uh, but it, if God calls upon the leaders of Christian people to have that kind of godliness that we see in one Timothy three and Titus one. Uh, where that is especially breached, that is seen or indeed expressed in our code of conduct, then that is something that I think uh, is dismissible. Uh, and uh, that has to be seen and expressed. And not only the dismissal taking place, but everyone else in the fellowship understanding it has taken place by way of warning and uh, recognising that it's only by the grace of God that we haven't done that as well so it's as much an education for everyone uh, and a fear of God in myself let alone in others but I um, I am in touch with the people that I've dismissed still uh, and and you know uh, and I can say that uh, it, again in the kindness of God that those who have accepted the dismissal very wonderfully are repentant and continue on in repentance, mm-hmm. even though I can't see them back in the positions of ministry they were in before. Um, but isn't that a wonderful grace of God, though, to mm. see them in repentance? It's, it's better to know that you're going to heaven with a, a clean conscience, that you're not hiding things over in which consequences have been met uh, and dealt with in a manner that has been taken sin seriously, yet see grace overwhelm that uh, scenario so that they're continuing on in repentance and joy. Most of us um, don't have to deal with this very often and when it does come up we're not, we don't feel very competent at it. You've dealt with the issue of dismissal because of holiness breaches a number of times. You just talked about doing it, sharing it with the rest of the fellowship um, I'm taking you're not talking about at national training events, no, you know. No, so, no. so how do you want to just? How does that look? What does that look like? Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, it's it's communicating it with our brothers and sisters uh, who share similar positions, mm-hmm. uh, and it's doing so. I, I'm I'm getting this um, firstly uh, from two places. One Timothy five, where he says it's to it's to teach others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think it's Galatians five, where it's, it's recognizing that it's, own, uh, it's only because of God's grace that I haven't done this myself. So it's, yep. it's a teaching exercise. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I want the fellowship to know that uh, we take sin seriously, but we also rejoice in the grace of God at one at the same time. Uh, and that is seen through this process. And the code of conduct is something that is there, that is not just a document that sits in your um, hard drive mm. or at the bottom of your drawer. It's something we actually take seriously. And we, we've worked over it again, and we're actually renewing it now. Uh, so but, but would you talk, would you make an announcement at a staff yeah, conference, yeah. or would you uh, send an email, an email yeah, to people? I sent people? an email, uh, 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 an email that is um, appropriately worded uh, that I think through, sift through, pray about uh, and make sure that others, and, and in particular the person I'm dismissing, reads as well so they know what is yep. going to the fellowship. I think it's important for them to know that. And, and I walk through my reasons with the person I'm dismissed as to why I'm doing this. 
and they often help me edit what I'm saying. Um, and this is cleared with one or two others as well. And they and I presume they you, you think about them in terms of legal things and defamation and yes. stuff like that. Oh, yes, yeah. cer- certainly that. But not in the first instance, though, Dominic. You're fir- firstly the thinking first pastorally. Inst- yeah. Yes, it's for the glory of God. And sometimes, it, yes, certainly legally, etc., needs to be passing that test in as much as it is a right and appropriate thing to obey the law. But, I mean, I can't think of a circumstance, but even if it does break whatever law comes down the track, uh, if it's going to be of bring much glory to our Lord Jesus Christ in a way that I think needs to be had against whatever, then I've got to ponder that. You know? mm. But for now, yeah, absolutely, I've got to think they're illegal. But that's not the first thing mm. that comes to mind. Um, you had a, a line I heard you say, I think you got it from Mark Dever of um, Deva, of um, you've got to hug hard to hit hard. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, that, that is Mark's line. I've confirmed it with him. Uh, uh, what... Uh, Again, please watch the episode, uh, dear friends, that uh, in which Dominic uh, very, very helpfully interviewed Mark and also what he says. And if you see and watch his ministry, which I've done for some years because we are good friends, um, he he is a, a man who is not afraid to be contrarian. Mm. Uh, and in fact, here in Sydney, among Sydney Anglicans, I can see how a number of places where he differs theologically on ecclesiology and so on, and yet we invite him regularly. Why is that? It's because he hugs hard. And what does he mean by that? That is, grace really does pulse through his veins Mm. with the same true gospel, and he is a man who loves people deeply from the heart. I know you've experienced that, haven't Mm. you? And I certainly have, and many do, and everybody feels like he's we're his best friends when we meet him. He's that kind of guy. Now, God's gifted him with that and, and a security in his own skin through his upbringing and so on, but also and primarily because of the gospel of grace. Yeah. So he hugs hard, but because he hugs hard, he hit, he's willing to hit hard. Yeah. Um, that is to be contrarian where he thinks we might have breached biblical principles or whatever it is, and you know, even his, uh, the theology of baptism where he disagrees <laughs> thoroughly with, with the Anglican um, doctrine on baptism, and yet, and yet we remain you know, the best mm-hmm. of friends and, and brothers at, at that level, and he, so he gets that, but he's willing to speak his mind that way. And I think that's, uh, he's a terrific model because of the gospel expressed through his life. That he does hug hard, and so, and we are commanded to love mm. one another deeply from the heart, aren't we? And mm. With people that we disagree with, my goodness, I, I'm sure that I and you and I disagree yeah, yeah, yeah. with us, and I, I consider myself to be an inconsistent evangelical. I have no doubt that I'm inconsistent, Dominic. Oh my goodness me, I hold my views, you know, well, and I, I but I'm sure that I'll be seen to be inconsistent yeah, down yeah, the track yeah. sometime. Uh, but you know, uh, until. I, I see the inconsistency in my own life. I'll continue in a particular way, which is why I need brothers and sisters to Rebuke show and, me, yeah, yeah. And, and show me my blind spots in all those areas. We're out of time, <laughs> but we could As keep always. going. Mm. Thank you so much for um, coming to talk it's to us. Great to be with you, Dominic. My guest on the Pastor's Heart has been Richard Chin, and uh, look, we'll be back to talk more about godliness in life with David and Kathy Thurston next week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.